So again, we'll talk about the idea here of, uh, we're, we're doing a title, well, the title's obviously right up on the scripture and right up on the board, Be Not Unequally Yoked. And we're going to talk about what that means and really let the passage dictate uh, the meaning and we'll try to see some obvious applications for right now life. Be ye not unequally yoked. So we'll talk about that, the yoke part here in just a minute. Here's the text, chapter 6, verse 14 to 18. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God had said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The Bible here brings up, the first thing it does here is bring up an image. Verse 14, look at the verse, first phrase there, be not unequally yoked. So the first image that we started out with is the idea here of a yoke, not the yellow part of an egg, not the component of the drive, that connects your driveline and your cars, uh, not that. Uh, let me just say before we get into this particular yoke, there's, there's different types of yokes in Scripture. A yoke is that which binds people together, binds something together, hooks two people together. There's a yoke of cattle, which is the imagery here we'll look at. Uh, there's a yoke of cattle. You can go back to that picture and stay there for a moment. There's another kind of yoke, the way it's used in the Scripture. Yoke can refer to a covenant. Yoke can refer to the, the binding feeling that you have under Moses's law, which was God's law. Under the Mosaic covenant, it was like, oh, I'm bound to this. I can't eat pork. I can't eat shrimp. I, I got I to gotta, uh, have these certain offerings all the time, and I, gotta, uh, I, I definitely will not work on the Sabbath. And you're, it was a yoke that you were tied to under that covenant. And uh, that was a reference. There's a yoke of a, what was referenced as the common work that's expected of a man. The Bible says it's good for a young man to bear the yoke in his youth. Yoke of work. I got to get up and I'm tied to a job. Right. Yeah, that's normal. That's a good yoke. There's the yoke of Christ Jesus. Yeah. Matthew 11 refers to the fact that Jesus, when Jesus was calling out to people, not saying, hey, I'm going to give you an easier life and it's going to be smooth. He was saying to the contrast of people following and failing on Mosaic Law, and following and failing on the hyper-done um, uh, traditions of Pharisees who were yoked down and couldn't, they were just dragging, trying to keep up with the goodness of their traditions. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. There is an obligation, but take it upon you. My yoke is easy, my burden's light. You'll find rest for your souls. You're bound to Christ, and you're you're obligated to Christ and you walk with Christ, but it's a lot easier than following the re religious rigor of a works-based type of a religion. So there's a yoke of Christ. 
And then there's a yoke here, I would say, of compromising your Christianity. All right? The yoke of... And that's what we're looking at today is that type of yoke. So it keeps the imagery here of two animals. Uh, primarily, you'd have two, you know, two horses. You have to match them up. Two horses uh, or two uh, donkeys or two ox. Uh, or maybe there's other animals that I'm not aware of. But I know one thing about yokes, only because, not because I grew up on a farm, but because I've read some of the Bible, uh, is that you don't mismatch the animals. You put, if you're going to put an ox in this one, you have to put an ox in that one, and typically about, you know, not a baby, you know. Same equal animal, equal, uh, fairly equal size. If you're going to put a donkey in this one, put a donkey in that one. If you're going to put a horse in this one, you put a horse in that one. You have to have an equal yoke. That's not a man-made thing. That's not Pastor Henry's thought. That's not a Baptist tradition. That's right out of the Bible. Deuteronomy 22.10. It's a very short verse, but it says it very plainly. Um, God, was, God gave all kinds of law for the Israelis, and some of them were more ceremonial, but many of them were practical, very practical. Deuteronomy 22.10 it says, thou shalt not plow an ox and an ass together. Okay, so you have an ox and you have a donkey. He says, you do not get them yoked up and have them plow together. There's, so, there's a couple of reasons for that. Okay, and be patient as we're talking about this. This agrarian example is leading us to how it applies to us. But if you have an ox and you have a donkey, they could be different heights for one. They're going to have different temperaments, and they're going to want to plow at a different rate, right? And one may not have as much endurance as the other. So not only is it impractical, because you're going to have one that's maybe want to go faster than the other, and the other that's, uh, or maybe they go the same speed and one just wears out before the other. It's just incongruent and some mismatch. Not only is it impractical, and you're not going to have your field plowed as efficiently and as uh, and in a way where you can expect it to be done right, but it could also be inhumane to the animal. <laughs> maybe the ox is just going to go a slow pace and could go all day, and the donkey may want to go fast and then quit early, but the ox wants to keep going. When the donkey, I'm just I'm just an example. The donkey may quit early, and the ox, I'm going to keep plowing, and the and the donkey's like, I'm wearing out. I'm wearing out. That's kind of inhumane to keep that going. So God has wisdom for saying this of not yoking two different animals together to do a job. He says, do the same animals, have an equal yoke. He didn't say that it's wrong to have a donkey or it's wrong to have an ox. He said, just have them together. And so in the scripture here, we're learning this idea. Well, let's go back to, let's go back to second. Uh, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians. John, can you give me a couple of tissues, please? Go to Second Corinthians. Back at the passage there. Who is this to? Thanks, bud. It's to. Thank you. That's good. It's not necessarily to a bunch of farmers. The idea is it's to what? Who's this? Who's reading this besides us? Who is reading this? Christian, the Christian church. So he's telling them, "Oh, you're a bunch of donkeys and oxes," and so you know he's saying. There's another relational, spiritual thing that he says, don't do, okay? Don't, don't match yourself up in a binding situation with an unbeliever is what he's saying. 
He didn't say don't have, believe, don't have unbelievers that are your friends or associates. He's talking about a yoke. You know, you, have, you can have different animals in the same field, but it's another thing when you start yoking them together. You can have Christians in the same arena of life, which we do. But it's another thing when we start binding ourselves together in something and then agreeing to do something together. That's different. It changes things. Let's talk about the Corinthians. The Corinthians were the original uh, audience, and now we, by extension, are. The Corinthians had um, many different, what you might say, things that would be a mismatch for them. There was, I guess you could say there's many attachments in the Corinthian culture that wanted to stay on them. There was things like there was things like pagan pagan religion that they had that they could go back and attach to if they wanted to because it was in their society. There was obviously people of well, let's look at a description of some things. Look in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul makes a, a life, more of a lifestyle description here of Corinth. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 to 11. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 to 11. So what's the point here? We're looking at some descriptions of what the Corinthians were exposed to, and some of them were actually a part of. Chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. That was, a, that was another way they described male homosexuality. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. He says, but you're washed, you're sanctified. The, the idea is you get a little snapshot of some of the lifestyle attachments in that culture. It's like, well, we see that in ours, you know. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate. Abusers of themselves with mankind. That's an interesting way to describe male homosexuality. It's actually very accurate. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards. So Paul's saying that's the culture that they were in, and they were saved out of that. They were washed from that. Back at chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, he says, now don't be yoked with that type of thing. Chapter 5, he says, remember, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself and hath um, committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And that he says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's what chapter 5 says. Chapter 5 says, when you got saved, it's new now. And so now in chapter 6, he says, so don't go yoke back up with unbelievers. He didn't say don't have friends. He didn't say don't go talk to people. He says don't be matching up, uh, uh, binding yourself, tying yourself up. <clears throat> Today in our culture, we're, you know, there's a lot of things we can tie ourselves up with, right? Um, there's a lot of attachments. There's a lot of things that we can get in alignment with. Now, um, Primarily, we need to watch out for binding relationships. It's, let me ask these questions, and I'm not, I'm not going to give the answer right away. Let me ask the questions. 
since we're reading this scripture, it says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We're going to go through and we're going to break it down, but listen to this. So then, should a Christian yoke in marriage to a non-Christian? Should a Christian choose to marry a non-Christian? We'll answer that. Should a Christian begin dating a non-Christian? Or should a Christian continue to date a non-Christian? Should a Christian contract business ownership with an unbeliever? Should they contract themselves with an unbeliever in business? Should a Christian, a believer, partner in a religious organization that denies Christ? Should a Christian work for someone who's not a believer? Should a Christian be a member of an organization and, uh, that, that, is, that has uh, godless values? Those are fair questions to ask, right? I mean, if you're listening to the Bible today, you should be thinking, okay, pastor's talking about horses and stuff and Corinthians. What does this mean to me? It means that here's you, and you choose to make partners with something throughout your life. You choose to marry certain people. You choose to be in business with certain people. You choose to attach yourself to, very, to certain lifestyles and bind yourself that way. Who are you yoking with? Who am I yoking with? Who, who do I think, who am I planning to yoke with and to, to alliance myself with? And whether this is your problem now or something that could come up, this is a good time to think ahead of time. What is God teaching about this yoking thing? Let me go ahead and go back and I'm going to do a, try to do a quick answer to each one of those questions. And then we're going to answer the main thing that I think Paul's dealing with. So let's ask the question. I think, number one in the Bible, should a Christian yoke in marriage? That means should a Christian marry a non-Christian? The answer in the Bible is no, you shouldn't. But the follow-up answer, the follow-up issue is, well, what if I'm already married to a non-Christian? And Paul addresses that if you read the New Testament. If you're married to a non-Christian, you need to work it out as best you can. Best you can. You know, don't try to cause a divorce. And if the unbelieving depart, you can let them depart. But you try to work with what you got. But if you, if you haven't been married yet, and you're a Christian, and you meet a, just a knockout gal, girl, but she's an unbeliever, just <laughs> get away. <laughs> and then don't try to do the missionary dating. Well, I'm going to date her to win her, you know? And there's been a lot of false professions of faith that happen to that. Usually on the other side where it's a guy dating a Christian girl, and she's the missionary Christian dating person trying to win the unsaved, good-looking guy, and he makes a profession of faith, and sometimes it's, it's a little weak. But I'm just saying it's wise when you get in marriage and there's two, when you, when you marry, somebody's got a clear profession of faith, clear profession of faith, and they bind in marriage. That's a good yoke. It's a good yoke. You know why? Because new creature in Christ, new creature in Christ. And by and large, you know that I'm supposed to go the God way. And I know that that doesn't mean there's no marriage problems, but you've at least started out right. We're glad for a marriage this last a couple weeks ago for two that are Christians and, and decided to yoke together and in marriage. And so that's a right type of yoke. Uh, should a Christian begin dating a relationship to a non-Christian? That's, that's No. Um, according to the Bible, should a Christian contract business ownership with a non-Christian? I think that would be a violation of this. 
You got to be careful. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't work for somebody that's a non-Christian, but if we're going to just take the Bible literally and actually do something about it, then it would be unwise for me if I have a great business plan and I meet another guy that has business-minded, but he's a non-Christian, I need to avoid that. Not that I can't get ideas from him, but if I'm in a contract in business with somebody, I'm talking about primarily in ownership, because I can tell you examples of where this has failed or had many problems. Paul's saying, get, get, get the fellowship with righteousness in this matter. Should a Christian partner with a religious organization that denies Christ? No, that's an unequal yoke. Um, we, uh, we, you know, we, we, we rejoice, uh, we've mentioned this before, but we, we rejoice with all the people that have been saved through Billy Graham's work and Franklin Graham. But there was in the 50s and 60s a lot of other pastors that said, wait a minute, he's, this part of what he's doing is not right. And what it was was that he was actually partnering with like Catholic priests and other people who flat out denied the gospel salvation. And that's where people are like, wait a minute, that's not right. And they had a right to say that to him. And I think he was a genuine Christian who made some wrong decisions on those notes of yoking and having literally up on the platform some Catholics. And that, that's not right. That's partnering with the wrong thing. <clears throat> uh, should a person work for someone who's not a Christian? Do you know that the New Testament answers that question for you? Yeah, you can. You can work for someone who's not a Christian. That doesn't amount to necessarily a yoke in, in that sense. Listen. Paul wrote in the epistles how to do that. If you have an unbelieving master, you still give him honor. He talked about that. The idea is if you're working for an unbeliever, that's, I mean, now if that person's cranking down on you and forcing your hand to violate Christian principles, then that's a different deal. So the Holy Spirit is bringing this subject up to people who live in this this Corinthian culture, we live in a Corinthian-type culture. And so here's the thing, here's, a, here's, a, here's something that we want to see. What is the rest of the text teaching? What is the rest of this teaching? It's actually answering a question, why should I not yoke? It, why should I not yoke up with whomever I please? Why should I not bind myself in, um, which is that principle that we have next, Yannick, why should I not bind myself to people that are unbelievers. Why? The principle here we see is we must take a heed against alliances that mismatch our faith. So here's three reasons. Number one, verses 14 to 16, we see the first reason why I should not just you know, marry anybody, not just business partner with anybody, not just have a tight friendship with just anybody. I need to watch out for that because number one, I am formed differently. Verses 14, 15, and 16 describe that you and I are formed differently. It asks in a question, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What happened when I was saved? I was made the righteousness of God. So this doesn't fit. I'm formed differently. What is the next question? What communion hath light? The Bible says we're children of light. He looks at you as his children, children of light. What fellowship hath light with darkness that's incongruent? What concord? That means this harmony it's, it's saying. Verse 15. What concord, what harmony does Christ have with Belial? Belial is another name for Satan. Can Jesus sing a duet with Satan? No, no, no. no. 
No, you can't. What harmony is there? <laughs> no, not even going to happen. That's saying that, so the idea is that it, it, I was made different. I'm in Christ. I'm, what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Um, this is crazy. I think it was Harvard Law School. This just came to mind. They got weird stuff. Some of the, like Yale, Harvard, and Princeton were schools that started out early, the early, some of the earliest colleges in this country. For the, especially Harvard, their main purpose for starting Harvard was to, to, to train preachers. That was their first original purpose of Harvard. And now, of course, they've gone different ways, but it was either Harvard or Yale. They actually have like an atheist uh, running the religious department, you know. Well, I guess atheism is a type of religion, but there's no, that's, that's, a, that's incongruent. I'm formed differently. George Washington, the one on the quarter and on the dollar bill, said, associate with men of good quality if you esteem your reputation. He says, it is better to be alone than in bad company. It's interesting. There's some things like, if I'm going to have a close relationship, if I'm going to have a business tie, certainly if I'm going to marry or date, I need to make sure this person's another committed Christian with a clear testimony. Because otherwise it's a mismatch. All right, guys, you got two systems in our nuts and bolts, right? In our, in our uh, tools and wrenches, the metric system, right? And what's the other one called? Standard, yeah. The imperial system. The imperialist English people forced it on everybody. Anyways, that's what they say, you know. The imperial system, standard system, the metric system. So in other words, and I don't have a thing about either one, but um, the metric system is actually a little simpler. Um, different, you know, 10 millimeters is approximately, a, what, a three-eighths in English? Okay. Jose, so he's dealing with this stuff every day. I can't find my telemillimeter. Ah, try the three-eighths. It might strip it, though. Anyways, so, so here's what happens. Here's what happens, right? You get a metric bolt, and you got to get a nut for that bolt. You're like, oh, I'm looking at you got to make sure you don't get the... you, you got to make sure if you have a metric bolt, it has metric-sized threads on that bolt. Let's say a 10-millimeter, uh, the bolt head. I don't know what the shaft part would be, but you have a 10-millimeter bolt, and you're looking for a nut for that. You don't just grab anything, Right? You don't just grab any metric. You don't just grab any... If you, if you get another nut that's like, oh, that's about the size, let's just crank it on there. Ah, it's going to be problems. It's an unequal yoke. It is. It, it'll be it'll cross-thread, and, or it might go on, but it's not quite tight. You're like, something's not right. Exactly, something's not right. It won't work right. You find a metric nut, threaded nut for a metric bolt. You find a standard half-inch nut... Uh, a bolt for a half inch nut, and that they, they fit. It's an equal yoke. It's a simple thing. God made us a certain way, not metric or standard. God made us a certain threading, and we're meant to unite with something that's of that same quality. Meant, our, relate, our best relationships ought to be Christian relationships. A best type, the best type of marriage ought to be a Christian marriage. The best type of friendship ought to be a Christian friendship. The best type of business relationship ought to be a Christian business relationship. The best type of, uh, of lifestyle choices even 
with all these other things ought to be ones that are, that are, that are coherent with Christian values. It, it's a fit. <clears throat> that's why like, I want to I, I encourage us all, friend one another in here. And, for, and if you have other friends, make sure they're, they're decent, committed Christians. The sequoias I read, of course, they can go up to 300 feet. A lot of them are in California. And uh, these giant, giant trees have, I read that they actually have shallow root systems. But their root system kind of goes in all directions to very far to capture as much moisture as they can. And not only that, you usually, it's not often that you see a sequoia growing by itself. They usually grow in, in clusters of, of, of like groves. And not only that, they're growing, these sequoias growing in clusters with fairly shallow root systems, yet they stand strong because they actually are sharing the roots one with another. Even though it doesn't go deep, they're sharing and probably goes deep to us, but not deep comparatively to its size. They, they share root systems to keep you, to, to, to probably share the moisture, but also for not getting blown over easily. It keeps them strong. And I just want to say, I'm not just trying to preach a negative message here by saying don't. I'm trying to say do. Have good Christian friends. That's a yoke. Because it helps you stand and you help them stand. One of the best things you can do as a young person, especially, start having not just friends, but good Christian friends. And, and uh, even as uh, I remember as a young couple, when we were a young couple, it was, it was helpful for my wife and I had to be around other good Christian young couples. It helps us stand and versus being yoked with those that maybe it was a friendship, but it just wasn't the same Christian values. <coughs> Number two, why? Why is Paul teaching this? Why is Paul uh, teaching us to not be unequally yoked? Well, it's because uh, we're formed differently, but number two, because I'm formed for his dwelling. Look at verse 16. What agreement hath the temple of God with the idols? For ye, here's a reason, for ye are the temple of the living God. As God had said, I will walk in them. As God had said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God? Isn't that amazing? It's like, you look at sometimes, I know how to stand up, you know, the older you get, you look in the mirror, you're like, ooh, man, I'm not that such of a temple, you know? When you're younger, you're like, look at this. You know, now you get in the mirror, oh, who is that, you know? But we're still God's temple. We're in this mortal body, and he says, we are the temple of the living God. He said, I will dwell in them. I'm going to live in there and walk in them. You know, he, the, the, simple truth, Jesus lives here. Like, I don't like his house, you might say. Well, tell him that. He wants to live here. When I accept him, he lives here. He goes with me by his Holy Spirit. He goes where I go. He's living in me, walking in me, dwelling in me. And so therefore, if Jesus lives in me, what I'm binding myself to affects what he wants to do in and through me. Right? I got to think. See, see, the whole idea of not being unequally yoked is not to try to produce some kind of religious culture that we want. It's, it, this is all about God. This is all about Jesus Christ and his purpose and his living out his life 
in and through us, unhindered by unbelieving uh, unbelievers in my life and their values uh, affecting it. I want to live uh, without a, this yoke here, to be an unequal yoke, because I'm formed by, to be His dwelling. Baptism. Baptism shows that you're new. The Bible talks about this in Romans 6, Acts chapter 2. They got baptized. Why? They're, something new happened. So they're going to go out and they're going to plunge under the water, come back up out of the water, saying, I belong to somebody else now. I'm showing. You belong to him once you accept him as your Savior, but you're showing it like you're showing a wedding ring that you put on afterwards. I belong to somebody. I belong to him. He's... And so baptism is showing your new identification, your belonging, that you belong to Him. What would you not? What would? What would you not allow in your house? Some of us are like, how many of us wouldn't allow snakes in our house? Anybody? Yeah. All right. How many of us would? I'm not making fun of anybody. Anybody want a snake? All right. You want a snake? Anybody else want a snake? All right. Josh wants one. They saw. We had snake. Saw that family fun night at. at uh, Tri-City Baptist Church last Monday night, one of the Christian school teachers has this collection of snakes, Mr. DeGraw. He had like 10 snakes or something. He's all excited. This one's from here, and this one's from here, and this one's from here. And, he's like, and I'm going, yeah, just keep them behind the glass. Yeah. Keep them behind the glass, Mr. D. You know? So he was excited about those snakes. How many of us, you know, there's certain... How many of us, let's see here. How many of us, there's... You wouldn't let... Uh, I don't know. How many of us you wouldn't let a cat in your house? Anybody like that? A few. Okay. How many of us welcome cats in our house? All right. See, no church splits here. No church splits. This is all taste, non-doctrinal issues. Okay. All right. All right. What about uh, certain smells? How many of you want pumpkin spice in your house? Anybody want pumpkin spice? All right. All right. Yay! You want it in your hot cocoa. You want it in your bread. You want it in your candles. Okay. All right. Anyways, how many of you don't want pumpkin spice? Again, no church splits. Oh, okay, yeah. All right. How many of you, I love this. What's the, the, the candles right now, the, the balsam and the pine smell? How many of you love that smell on your house? Anybody? All right. How many of you don't? A few don't? Okay. Get the headache? Is that what it is? Get a little headache from it? All right. I kind of like that smell. You know, there's certain things that you say I want here and I don't want here in my house. Certain smells I want or I don't want, animals I want, or I don't want. God, this is, well, this is his house. And he has some prerogative on, I'm, I'll just speak about myself. He has a prerogative on this, on this house, in this temple, of his dwelling in it and how it's being influenced by any agreements I make with somebody else. I don't want to make an agreement with alcohol because that affects this temple that affects this temple. Unless it's some strange way of a relating to medicine, I don't want to do that. Um, I am the temple of God. I, don't, I, want to, I want to be as clear of that other outside influence as possible. All right, so what would you allow or, or disallow in your house? You have certain things. You and I are God's house, and He has special purposes for you, and He wants to have prerogative on you. And number three, this is a blessing. I like this. What's the re third reason why we should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers? Because number three, he's my father. He's my father. I'll be provided for. Look at verse 
17 and 18, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The idea here is that, is, is that Corinthians may be saying, well, we're going to miss out on something, some fun, some things, some... If I was only in a relationship with this person, that would be good. If, if I was in business with this, I know he's, he denies Jesus, but if I could be in business with him, then it'll be better. God says, no, you're not formed the same. Come out from among them and be separate. Touch not the unclean thing. I'll receive you. I'll be a father to you. I'll take care of you. What do you need? That's what he's saying. God was saying, don't not do this because you don't think you'll be cared for. He says, you come out and be separate. Be my child. I'm going to take care of my child. I'm going to take care that he has, if, he's, if I'm leading him into business, I'm going to lead him into business the Christian way. If he's, being, if he's being led into a marriage or he wants to be married, I'm going to help him go into marriage the right way, my way, and yoke together. I'll be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Let's look at Psalm 34, 9 and 10. Psalm 34, 9 and 10. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come ye children, hearken unto me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I'm sorry, the first, the first verse 9, O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Say, God, show yourself to me in this. I fear you. I don't want to start wanting toward the world I want to want toward you. And you say if I, that there's no, fear, there's no want to them that fear him. He's my father. I love how this, how this scripture back in 2 Corinthians is said. I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. I liked how my dad, growing up, my experience with my dad, it was, you know, it was, it was pleasant. He, was, he made sure that we were... You know, he would tell you he wished he was there more often at different things. He would tell you that. But he provided for us. And I, there, was, there was, in a certain sense, because my dad provided the basics for our family, and then at, you know, moments of life, of birthdays. And I know mom was a lot of times coordinating some of this behind the scenes, and maybe dad looked good <laughs> because of it. I don't know. But for the most part, I was taken care of by both parents. And... Um, you know, on key moments of life. Well, first of all, food and clothing, shelter, school, and, we, you know, um, basic fun things, once a year, vacation or so, and Christmas. It was like, that was always nice. It wasn't exuberant, but it was like, there was nice, something nice. And um, birthdays and just the basics were taking care I was taken care of, such that I didn't feel like I had to, <clears throat> you know, run out and be desperate for something else because I was kind of trusting under mom and dad's care. And I think God's saying the same thing. is like trust in the fatherhood of God as a believer and he'll give you what you need. 
this is the point. Don't compromise yourself while you're trying to pursue something else that you think you need. Don't do that. Stay committed to the Lord and trust in His care. Be not unequally yoked together. Again, the greatest yoke is the one Jesus provides. Let's look at Matthew and we'll close with this. Matthew 11. Pardon me. Yeah, yeah Matthew 11. That's it. 28, 29, 30. Again, famous verses that we've heard before. But I, I believe the original voice of this is Jesus is calling out to people who are just under this rigorous uh, religious work that just can't quite be good enough. And he says, come to me, it'll be different. Matthew 11, 28, 29, 30. <clears throat> come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think the, 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 the main, again, the main idea is people out there, really it's talking about people I think that aren't believers. And I know there's a relational aspect to this, but Christ Jesus is the one whose way to eternal life is found without a rigorous plowing. Jesus doesn't require us to rigorously plow for Him in order to gain rest and gain heaven, gain a relationship with Him. He says, just come milk with me. This is not going to be hard. And my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I believe He's talking about the fact that eternal life is given by Him and it's free. The saving yoke we need is Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this. We're, we're done. What Are you tied... What are you tied up in? What are you tied up to? Uh, 